Hey, it's Ryan Tucker, and welcome to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you are listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon coming out of Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, and it's titled, Built for a Purpose. Uh, if you got your Bibles today, open up Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, 6, 7, and 8. And I am so blessed to have my good friend, Pastor Johnny and the Hunt family with us today. Love you, brother. Glad that you're here. Man, it's, you know, I always have to be careful when he's here because I'm like, I need to make sure I'm not preaching his stuff. Uh, so rich, so rich. Next Sunday, does anybody know what next Sunday is? Father's Day. Now, how many of you believe that Father's Day is equal to Mother's Day? Raise your hand. Now, put your hands back down. It ain't equal. Come on. You're crazy. You're crazy. Y'all know it's not. You know it's not. You know, hey, maybe you don't know what to get your dad for Father's Day. This week, I ran across this. This might help some of you guys. I ran across this on eBay. What you can get your dad for Father's Day. Um, it is a 2006 Chevy Monte Carlo. I think we've got a picture of it. There it is right there. For sale on eBay. For sale on eBay. A NASCAR race car. Jeff Gordon drove it uh, in Talladega, and he drove it in a few other races. Now, um, it doesn't have power windows. It doesn't even have a window. That's a little net, right? Uh, it doesn't have power seats. It only has one seat, and it's a bucket seat, very uncomfortable. It is bolted to the car. Uh, the trunk is basically the gas tank. Five miles a gallon, that's what it gets. Five, no, uh, no alloy wheels. The reality is the wheels don't even have any tread on them. No air conditioning. Plenty of heat. Now, I looked this up on Kelly Blue Book. A 2006 Chevrolet Monte Carlo in reasonable shape with not extremely high mileage, $9,000. Top end, $10,000. What, what do you think they're asking for this on eBay? $9,000? $205,000. You're like, well, I'm not a Jeff Gordon fan. That's okay. They're selling Mark Martin's car too. What in the world makes this more valuable than a regular 2006 Chevy Monte Carlo? It's because it's been designed for something special. It's been designed to race in NASCAR. Well, guys, I want you to hear me today. You know Jesus Christ is your Lord. You have been designed for a special task. And that makes you extremely valuable. We are now roughly 45 weeks walking verse by verse through the book of Romans. We've only got about 18, 19 weeks left. Um, and what Paul has been saying, the guy who wrote this book, he has been saying, this is a transformation that takes place. That is even the title of our series, A Life Transformation. So what he is saying is, Christ comes to live inside of you and then you are changed you are transformed. And part of this transformation process we're going to see this morning is spiritual gifting. 
that God has given you spiritual gifts to accomplish much for His name. I guess I would say it this way, you're not just some ordinary Monte Carlo. And so this morning, I want us to look at this spiritual gifting being built for a special purpose. Look there with me, we're in Romans 12. We'll look at verses 6, 7, and 8. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Some of y'all need to highlight that one right there. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Our ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So a few things I want us to look at this morning The first one is this, I want us to have a good description of spiritual gifting. When we say spiritual gifting, what are we talking about? Basically, it is this, spiritual gifting is a God-given capacity to serve the Lord. It is a God-given capacity to serve the Lord. Here's what that means. It means that you have the potential ability to use a gift To serve not only the church, but to serve Jesus, to serve the body of Christ, so the world might be changed. Now, notice I said potential ability. That if you know Jesus is Lord, he's already gifted you. It doesn't mean it's automatically going to happen. You've got to use the gift that he has given to you, yet you have the potential ability to do much within the body of Christ. Now, when I talk about this, I want you to understand we're not talking about a natural talent. Don't mistake the two. Sometimes people have a natural talent of song or music. It's interesting, you'll not see song or music listed as a spiritual gift. It is a natural talent. Now, you can use it in spiritual gifting. You can use it in the gift of mercy, or you can use it in the gift of of, uh, a ministry, or you can use it in the gift of evangelism, but you'll not see it listed as its own. It's a natural talent, a natural ability. I thank God that we have many folks in our church that have the natural ability to be able to sing and give God glory through music. Because sometimes people don't use the natural talent they have to edify Christ within the body of Jesus. For instance, many of you have heard the world-renowned singer Adele. Isn't she good? I said, isn't she good? Come on now. She is really good. Could you imagine, what if Adele had just sung Waymaker? What if Adele sang the song that Stephanie sang? Now, here's here's what could happen. I don't know if she's a believer or not. Matter of fact, I looked it up. I don't think she is a believer. I think she talks about religion and stuff like that. But anyway, clearly, 
She does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You might walk away from here and you may say, you know what, Adele hit every note. Adele took it higher than I've ever taken it before. Man, Adele entertained me. What a natural talent. Yet Adele could not do what Stephanie just did. Stephanie takes a natural talent and through the gifting of mercy, through the gifting of ministry and evangelism, you walk away from here and you're like, man, that Stephanie ministered to my soul today and if you know about Stephanie mm, when she gets into that even when I don't see it you're working even when I don't feel it you're working several years ago her 18 year old daughter was driving home and had a tragic car accident and lost her life and so when she's up here, even when I don't see it, you're working. It ministers to my soul. My goodness, I'm sitting there and I'm like, hey, this ain't just a lady that's trying to hit every note. And by the way, she hits every note. <laughs> this is a lady who lives by faith what she sings. And so, so don't confuse this with a natural talent. We're talking about a, a, a supernatural gifting of God. And every Christian has some spiritual gifts. Now, not every Christian has all of the spiritual gifts. Why do you think God has not given somebody all of the gifts? Because we are a body, right? I need you, you need me. God never designed it to be a one-man band. Think of this church body as just that, as a band. There's one that plays the guitar, one that plays the bass, one the electric, the drummer, and then we have some keyboardists and all those kinds of things. Think of you as being an instrument as a part of this band known as Highland Park Baptist Church. That God has uniquely gifted you in a way. Now, while you may have the same spiritual gifts as others, all of a sudden God takes that spiritual gifting and because of your personality and because of your abilities, you have your own unique spiritual gifting DNA. You've got an instrument to play. Now, I'll tell you what it's a shame. It's a shame when you're playing the wrong instrument. For instance, I would say, well, what if Corey said, I'm not going to play the acoustic, I'm going to go over and I'm going to play the drums. Well, he can flat out play the drums too. Or what if he said, I'm going to play the bass. I think he can play that. Can he play the, can he play the piano? Dead gummit. <laughs> Calvin, can you play the drums? Dead gummit. <laughs> Our drummer, he can't play the piano, can he? Dead gummit. <laughs> son let's just say this let's say I play the guitar I don't I don't Scotty White do you play an instrument what do you play little guitar little trombone do you play the piano no okay great thank you Scott for your help appreciate you what if Scott all of a sudden said I'll go over and start playing the piano we're going like that, that's not good that's not good music that's not beautiful music now, if you throw the Gann family out, then we will follow that model. 
You have your part and I have my part. And it's not about you sitting there saying, I want to play your instrument. No, you play your instrument. And so it's a shame when we get focused on playing a different instrument. But please hear me, what is even worse than that? When you have an instrument and you refuse to play. That God has gifted you and you refuse to use it. A God-given ability, capacity to serve the church and to make much of Jesus Christ. I need you. You need me. We all need to be playing together. And when we work together and we utilize our spiritual gifts together and we exercise our spiritual gifts together, that brings about beautiful harmony called the church. The church. And so that's the description of spiritual gifting. But then secondly, I want us to look at all the different spiritual gifts. The list that we have right here gives us seven. There are other lists in other places, but we're not in other places. We're here in Romans. And so I want us to look at these seven different spiritual gifts. Remember, everyone who Jesus is Lord of your life, you have a spiritual gift. But nobody has all the spiritual gifts. The first gift that he mentions here is the gift of prophecy. You're like, I know what that is. That's telling the future. No, it's not. That's not it at all. In the New Testament, it is inspired preaching. That's what it is. Prophecy, the gift of prophecy. It is the gift of taking the Word of God and expounding on the Word of God in a way which people are motivated to respond to Jesus Christ for salvation, or Christians to respond in commitment. Every church needs at least one person with a gift of prophecy. If a church doesn't have at least one person with a gift of prophecy, that is an unhealthy, unbalanced church. I believe I have the gift of prophecy. I thank God for that. And I thank God that He uses that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I want you to listen to what it says there. It says, The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, I want you to think about that. To me, that relates to preaching. That when it comes to the letter there, there's the letter of the Word. We're talking about just the pure Word of God itself. And then there is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that is energizing. That if you have one, the letter or the Spirit, if you have one without the other, then you're in trouble. I'll give you an example. I know some churches that have the letter. They have the Word of God the same way that you and I have the Word of God and, and they don't have the Spirit and in other words, they're just dried, dull, dead churches. That if you're in a church that has the Word but doesn't have the Spirit, you'll dry up. And then on the flip side of that, there are churches that have plenty of Spirit. They have plenty of emotionalism. But they're not basing it on the Word. If you're in a church that has plenty of spirit but has no Word, you're not going to dry up, you're going to blow up. And then there's a church that has the Word and has the Spirit. And in a church that has the Word energized by the Spirit, you'll not dry up, you'll not blow up, you'll grow up. I pray to God that Highland Park will always be the kind of church that has the Word and has the Spirit. 
so that we might grow up to be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we have the uh, gift of ministry. In the New Testament, it's the same word for the word deacon. Ministry. It is seeing a need and meeting it. It is the gift of service. And I thank God that many of you have it. What that may mean is that you serve through our next-gen ministry at our high schools and middle schools. Or you serve in our Shoes for Souls ministry. Or you serve in our backpack ministry. Or you're a volunteer builder on our Helping Hands ministry. Or maybe you're even the kind of person you think, well, I really don't have much to offer the church or the body of Christ, yet you mow the yard of a widow that cannot do it herself and can't afford to have somebody else do it. That is the gift of ministry. The gift of ministry is extremely important in the church, and I thank Jesus Christ for the countless people in the body of Christ who have this gift of ministry and service. Now, the gift of ministry is not when you see a need, you complain about it. I don't know folks that'll sit there and they'll say, you know what, something needs to be done about that over there. There's something that needs to be done about that over there. Somebody needs to do something about that over there. And I'll say, well, Hoss, why don't you do it? You've identified the need. Why don't you do it? I've even had folks come to me and here's what they've said. I have the spiritual gift of complaining. <laughs> well, at least you're honest. Friend, listen to me. Here's what I said. I said, are you kidding me? Complaining is not the fruit of the Spirit. That's the weed of the devil. The fruit of the Spirit and this this gift of ministry is you see a need and then you meet that need and you serve and it's the gift of service. And I just say thank God for many people in our church, they'll never be on this stage, they'll never be in the spotlight who have this gift of ministry and because of that, we are more being used by the, by the Spirit of God out in the world to make much of Jesus Christ. That we are more a warrior for the kingdom because of your gift of ministry. But then there's a third gift. It's the gift of teaching. What's the difference between the gift of preaching or the gift of prophecy and the gift of teaching? Well, it's not content. Because we both use the Word of God. Whereas a prophecy gift or a preaching gift is sitting there and it is trying to get folks to respond. Respond. Here's the word. Now make the decision. I will respond either in salvation or commitment in certain areas of your life. Teaching is not so much about immediate response. It's more about a transformation. I'm going to give you information Praying and hoping for a transformation. There are folks that maybe they have the natural talent to teach school. Or they have the natural talent to be a professor. That, that's not the same as the spiritual gift of teaching. Teachers give information. Those with the spiritual gift of teaching, here's the information, now let's have transformation. 
And I thank God for people in our church who have the gift of teaching. People who teach our children, they teach our students, they teach our adults. There are some right now during this hour that are teaching in life groups, teaching at all of our campuses. Let me just stop and say this. If you have the spiritual gift of teaching and you are not exercising that spiritual gift, shame on you. Oh, there were no amens with that one. Shame on you. When I'm taking a little bit of time off, we don't have time to take time off. You got to be utilizing that gift. Hear me, friend. We're less than what we could be because you're sitting on the sideline. The gift of teaching. But then the fourth gift that he mentions here is the gift of exhortation. Exhortation means that you motivate people. You say, what do I motivate them to do? Sometimes it's motivating somebody to give up a sinful habit that they have. Sometimes it is motivating somebody the courage to accomplish something that God called them to do that otherwise they wouldn't accomplish if it weren't for your motivation, your exhortation, or exhortation, not exhortion. We're not exhorting anybody, right? It's, It's encouragement. It's encouragement. There was a guy in the New Testament that had the gift of encouragement that they didn't even call him by his name. You know what his name was? Joseph. They never called him by his name. They called him Barnabas. You know what Barnabas means? Encouragement. Anytime he would walk up on a group or he would show up at the church, they would say, there's no encourager right there. There's Mr. Encourager right there. Could you stop? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were so in tune with our gifts and we were so using our gifts that people called us by our gift? There comes preacher. Hey, there's teacher right there. Hey, there's mercy giver. Hey, there's encourager. Exhortation, it's the gift of spiritual cheerleading. Many, many years ago, when I was playing basketball in high school, and we had cheerleaders, and this is before they all did the backflips, and, you know, I don't know what some of the dances are, but anyway, before they did all that, when they would just cheer. And, and, and whenever we would go up to shoot a free throw, they would, they would be right there, and they had this cheer that they would do. And if I would walk up to the free throw line, here's what they would say. Sink it, sink it. Come on, Stephen, sink it. Hey, I, I know you don't understand the value of that, but in the moment, it was powerful. <laughs> They're calling your name, right? It's echoing all throughout the gym. Sink it, sink it. Come on, Stephen. What they meant is make it, make it. Come on, make it. Stephen, make it. And you go up to the line, you're like, my goodness, i got to make this thing. They're, they're, they're calling my name out. And I'd go up there, and if I'd make a free throw, I'd turn around, and I'd be like, thank you, girls. Great job. And if I missed it, I'd be like, I can't miss another one. Come on. They're calling my name. They're encouraging me. That's what this gift of exhortation is. Wouldn't it be great at Highland Park if those who have this gift, the gift of spiritual cheerleading, would start doing it? I can just hear it right now. Preach it. Preach it. Come on, preacher. Preach it. <laughs> or you'd say this. Pray more. Pray more. 
Come on, church. Pray more. Or some of you guys, love her, love her. Come on, husband, love her. Wouldn't that be great? That's the gift. So whatever it is, you encourage people to do what God's told them to do. Man, that's a great gift. Again, probably not going to be in the spotlight, but very much important in the kingdom that he is doing here in the body of Christ. Here's the fifth gift, the gift of giving. And I'm going to beat you to the punch because some of you are already there. You're like, no, wait just a minute, Pastor. Didn't you say that not everybody has all the gifts? True. I said that. You're like, well, you know, I don't think I have the gift of giving. And I've been giving. I've been playing the wrong instrument. Now, friend, listen to me. <laughs> there are general commands. Okay, there are some of these gifts that we're all generally called to do. For instance, mercy. We're all called to be merciful. We're all called to give. But what this is saying is that there are some who actually have this supernatural special gift of giving. All of us are supposed to give. How do we know that? Many different places. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it says this. It says, on the first day of the week, every one of you should lay aside something according to your income. That is for every single one of us. It is not a spiritual gift. But there are some people that have a special gift to give. Romans 12 says, if you have this gift, give generously. Give liberally. Don't hold it back. You say, well, now, in order to have that gift, then that means that probably God has really, really given you a lot of money or a lot of wealth. Don't you have to be wealthy in order to use the gift of giving? Well, you can, but you don't have to be. I'll give you an example. When I was licensed to the ministry in the little church I grew up in in West Tennessee, Small little church, not a lot of wealthy people, not only in the church or even in the community. And they, uh, they licensed me, you know, at the age of 16, I sensed God calling me to ministry, ran from it for five years. And finally, I surrendered. My church, as they licensed me, they said, you know what, we've seen this for years. We, we've seen uh, characteristics about you that... God, we believe God's calling you into ministry, and so we're going to license you. And so I preached there, I spoke there, uh, you know, shared my testimony, all that kind of stuff. And I would leave from that service, and I would go to uh, be the youth pastor at a church in northeast Arkansas. So when I was in college, and there's this couple in the church, Phil and Pat Moore. Phil was the high school chemistry teacher. I thank God he didn't love me for the grade that I made in chemistry. She was a, just an office worker at a place there in town. But he was also my Sunday school teacher. He was the youth Sunday school teacher. You say, what grade? No, he was the youth Sunday school teacher. There were no grades. There was the youth. Many Sundays it would be me and Mr. Phil. Our class was so small that we met in a closet behind the baptistry. There were many Sundays I would sit there and I would say, hey, Mr. Phil, um, you know, that's okay. If you want to go to Sunday school with your wife, you can go to Sunday school with her. I don't, it's okay. I'll find something to do. I, I promise I won't get in trouble. And, um, 
And he would say, oh, no, 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 I've prepared. We're going to have Sunday school. Uh, he, he passed away from brain cancer over a year ago. I had the opportunity a few months before he died to be able to go sit in his living room there in rural West Tennessee to be able to pray with him, to be able to encourage him. I can remember sitting there saying, Mr. Phil, did, now, do you have any idea that when it was just me and you in the baptistry closet, that one day I'd be pastoring a church with over 3,000 members? And he said, I didn't. God did. And that's why I taught. I said, you were training me. He goes, I didn't know it. God did. That night at that licensing service, as I was walking out to get in my car, Phil and his wife, Miss Pat, came walking up with tears streaming down their cheeks. They didn't have much. They didn't have kids of their own. And he gave me a $1,000 check. Now, to some of you, that's insignificant. I'm telling you, to them, it was huge. Probably all they had in their savings. They wrote me a $1,000 check, tears streaming down their face, and here's what they said. We know God's got His hand on you. And we want to give you this to help pay for your seminary. Not wealthy by any means. The spirit of giving? Absolutely. I thank God for people who God leads them to give and they do it and they get great joy from that. And I thank God for people who not only give while they are alive, but I thank God for people who prepare so that when they die, through endowed giving through their will, they still support the ministry of the Lord's work. I don't know about you, but I think the gift is better exercised when you're alive so you can receive the joy of the blessing of doing it. I ran across a little poem the other day. It's only two lines that kind of helps you understand what I'm talking about. It goes this way. If you're giving while you're living, you'll be knowing where it's going. <laughs> and people who have this gift of giving, they never want any attention. They're like, no, we just want to do it because we love the Lord and we want Him to get glory. And they take great joy. They don't give and say, hey, there's some strings attached. I want to give this gift, but you know what? I want you to put my name on the chairs in that Sunday school room that I gave money for. Friend, if you walked around our church and you looked for name plaques, you would spend a lot of time and not find a one. Our philosophy is this, we sure don't want to rob you out of a blessing in heaven by giving you a blessing here on earth. And so there are folks that have come and they'll say, hey, if you just let me put my name on that building, I'll pay for it. And I'm like, how about you go ahead and give the money and I'll pray about the name. <laughs> no one's taking me up on it just yet. But anyway, <laughs> what a great gift it is. The work of God prospers. Here's the sixth gift. It's the gift of leadership. Thank God for folks in the church throughout the ages who have had the gift to organize and inspire God's people to accomplish God's goals. Here's what I mean by that. I've known some churches where everybody does their own thing. 
And it creates a spiritual anarchy. Man, I thank God for folks who have this gift of leadership. At You know, they're gifted to organize and they'll lead people. And I thank God for that. I'll tell you a great characteristic of those who have the gift of spiritual leadership. They never have to say, hey, I'm the leader, follow me. Instead, it goes something like this. I got my eyes on Jesus and I'll follow him. And the others say, well, I got my eye on Jesus too. I'll just jump in behind you. That's the gift of spiritual leadership. But then, let me give you the seventh and final gift, and it's the gift of mercy. It tells us there in verse 8 that if you have the gift of showing mercy, you ought to do it cheerfully. Again, just like giving, everybody is to have the gift of mercy, but we're talking about a special gift here. Here's what I believe that plays out. That there are some folks within the body of Christ, man, they just got this special gift. They're sensitive to folks. They can sense when somebody's hurting. They can sense when somebody feels as though they're all alone. They can sense when somebody is grieving. And they minister to them. And they come up and they take their arms and they just put them around them and they give them a hug. And they send them that text. Hey, praying for you. Everybody, everything's going to be all right. Trust the Lord. They come alongside. Now, not everybody has that gift, but there are a lot of people who do have that gift. And so God blesses that. And God works through that. And they go and they talk to them and they, they love on them and they reach out and they're there for them. In one church, I had a guy there that was a successful businessman. He was fairly wealthy. It was interesting. He, 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 didn't, he didn't really like to publicly speak. He was always very timid, very quiet. Some would even question, how was he successful? But he had the gift of mercy. And so here's what would happen. Whenever a family in our church, whenever they had a family member or a friend that would pass away, he would go into their house, he would go into their closets, and he would shine their shoes because he knew they'd have to wear them to the funeral. Then he would go out and he would wash their cars. Because he knew the cars were going to have to be in a funeral procession. He didn't do it so anybody would say, oh, look at him, look at what he did. He didn't do it for any notoriety, for a pat on the back. He just did it because God had gifted him with the gift of mercy. And it was an important, wonderful gift. Now, I want you to stop and think about the seven gifts that he mentions here in this passage of Scripture that every true child of God in this room has either one or more of these gifts. Here's the question I have for you. Do you know what it is? And are you using it for Christ? Which leads us to our third point this morning. How do you determine your spiritual gift? How do you determine it? I want you to listen to what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. It says all these, and he's talking about gifts there. Paul writes, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Here's what that means. You don't go to God and say, God, I want this gift. That the moment you become a child of God, the moment at your salvation, that God then gives you your spiritual gifts. You're born into the kingdom of God. You're given those gifts. Now it is your job to discover what those gifts are. 
You say, well, how can you do that? How do you determine your spiritual gifting? There's a lot of different ways, but for sake of time, I'll give you two this morning. First of all, a personal inclination. You have a personal inclination. What do I mean by that? I mean this. What kind of ministry, what kind of spiritual service are you inclined toward? Let me ask it a different way. What is it that you enjoy doing? God's not going to gift you to do something that doesn't take into account your personality, your passions, and I would even say your natural talents. And listen to me, let me say this. Why in the world do you think that God is going to gift you with something that'll make you absolutely miserable? It's just my burden to bear. No, that's not gifting. I'll give you an example. For instance, for those of you who have the gift of mercy, you love going to the nursing home. You love going to the hospital. Man, I think of a guy that had the gift of mercy who went home to be with the Lord a few years ago. Some of you remember him, Mr. Cliff West. My goodness, he was in the hospital every day. I eventually said, Brother Cliff, why don't we put you on staff so you can just go do the hospitals? He goes, oh no, I don't want y'all telling me what to do. And some of you have that, man. You go to the hospitals and you go to the nursing home. If you're sitting there and you're like, I can't stand going to the hospitals. I can't stand going to the nursing homes. You probably don't have the gift of mercy. What is that personal inclination? You ever heard the expression, do what comes naturally? Oh, y'all don't know how this works. Have you ever heard the expression, do what comes naturally? Okay, I just wanted to make sure. What he is saying is, do what comes supernaturally. We're not talking about a natural talent. We're talking about a supernatural capacity. And sometimes it just boils down to trial and error. And the biggest mistake that you can make is to get so bound up in analyzing and diagnosing what your spiritual gifts are, taking all these surveys after surveys after surveys until you're guilty of what is called paralysis of analysis. Well, I'm trying to figure it out. I've been trying to figure it out. You know, hey, listen, friend, don't sit there and spend your entire time. I've got to figure out what my spiritual gift is. Start doing some of it. Then you'll find out. We say it this way. Now, and again, we've got the surveys. If you want to take the surveys, you'll be blessed. You can find out what color you are. You can find out what animal you are. You can find out what letter you are. Some of you know the letter, you know the animal, you know the color, and you hadn't done flip. I know there are folks out there that made a great deal of money helping you diagnose your spiritual gifting. Let's simplify it a little bit. Look around where God's at work and say, boy, I think I'd like being a part of that and jump in and see how it goes. My grandmother, she'd cook and she'd have all of us come over and she'd make big old pots of spaghetti. She wasn't a chef, she was a cook. Do you know how she determined when the spaghetti was ready? She'd take it and throw it up against the wall behind the stove. And if it stuck, she's like, spaghetti's ready. If it slid down, she's like, a little bit longer. 
Some of you guys need to do that when it comes to your spiritual gifting. Why don't you go ahead, grab a spiritual gift, throw it up against the wall and see if it sticks. And if it sticks, get ready to do it. Start serving. Start utilizing. Sometimes you just got to flick it up on the wall, right? If it slides down, that's not it. If it sticks, you'll just know. Wow, that's what God has gifted me to do. So personal inclination. Here's the second way to determine spiritual gifts. We're almost done. Public validation. The body of Christ, the church, will oftentimes recognize your gift before you do. Again, I'll use an example from my own life. When I was a teenager, there were folks in the church. God's called you to preach. No, uh-uh, not me. Not me. Got into college. Hey, God's called you to preach. No, not me. Uh-uh. I'm going to be a catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. And then when that dream went belly up, I think I'll be a banker. You know, you get to hold all that money. When I finally surrendered to the ministry, it's amazing. The folks that were like, we knew it all along. We, we, we saw God's hand on you. We, we, saw, we saw the gifts that were already taking place in your life. And please hear me. I don't say that to try to exalt me. I'm a nobody. My goodness. I stand up here and I'm like, I cannot believe I get to do what I do. I can't believe God would use anything that I say or do to bring people to him. It's mind-blowing. I'm just saying this. If he'd use somebody like me, oh, he'd use somebody like you too. When I first surrendered to ministry, I'm like, I'm going to be a student pastor. That's all, that's all I want to do. And please hear me, there's great value in student ministry. You don't believe me, go over there on Wednesday night and hang out with all 200 of them. Some of you be like, this is not my ministry. I love teenagers and I love being goofy and I loved sports and I loved hanging out. And I, and I still love students today. But I thank God for Robbie and the guys that are in his ministry that are over there loving on those kids. So I get to hang around you guys that have just a little bit of sense about it. <laughs> no, I love our students. And here's what happened. I was on a revival team at Union University and I was the fellowship coordinator. They would send out revival teams for the weekend, and there would be a preacher, there would be a song leader, there would be usually someone playing the piano, and there would be someone who would do the fellowships for the youth. That was me. The preacher was my roommate. He came down with a stomach virus Friday morning. The revival started Friday afternoon or Friday evening. Dr. John Adams, who was the vice president of religious affairs, called me to his office. He said, Steve... You're going to have to preach. I'm like, no, 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 no. I do the fellowships. And he said, no, Jason's sick. You're going to have to preach. I'm like, let the song leader preach. And Dr. A, you know song leaders can't preach. <laughs> You'd have to know Dr. Adams. And not, not you, Scotty White. You about to start preaching, brother. And I said, well, what about the girl that plays the piano? He goes, Steve, we're Southern Baptists. Here, I kid you not, he gave me a book, I still have it today. Simple Sermons by Jesus. And he gave me the book and he said, just say exactly what it says in this book. And I preached that weekend. We had folks saved. 
And there were folks that were coming, they're like, man, you ministered to me. Man, how you handle that? You ministered with me. God, God, and, and, and here's what I did. You know what? I kind of dig this thing called preaching. And whenever we're out of town, and usually when we're out of town, I'm preaching somewhere. I just love to preach. I don't see it as a burden. I see it as a joy. A few weeks ago, we were out of town, and I wasn't preaching somewhere. And my family will tell you, if Sunday comes and I'm not preaching, you do not want to be around me. Man, I'm a sourpuss when it comes to me not getting to preach. I'm just saying, friend, others will see it in the church and in the body of Christ. And so if you have the gift of encouragement, you're constantly encouraging people. Everybody in this room is gifted for some special ministry. And the way you function as a part of the body is discover your job and start doing it. And start doing it wholeheartedly. Do it more than you've ever done it before. And do it and do it and do it. And when every member of this body called Highland Park Baptist Church is doing their job, that's when this body rises up as the body of Christ in a healthy way and makes an impact on the world for Jesus Christ. But I go back to what we said last week. Jesus is the brain, right? Jesus is the nerve center. Jesus is the control center. Some of you are hands. Some of you are arms. Some of you are the little toe. Remember I told you last week, me, Corey, and Wayne, we're the big nose. How do you think Jesus feels when the brain says... Move arm, and the arm doesn't do anything. Move little toe, nothing. And an individual Christian says, I can't do anything. Are you kidding me? You are highly valued. God has gifted you supernaturally. And when the head speaks... You move. I was driving back from Mobile a couple of weeks ago on I-10. If you want your, test, your, your faith to be tested, drive I-10. Past an 18-wheeler. On the back of the truck was an advertisement, and here's what it said. Any load, anywhere, anytime, 1-800, and it had the number. And I thought, that's a good approach to business. They're like, whatever it is, we don't care. Any load, anywhere, anytime, call us and we'll haul it. Well, friend, listen to me. Think of that when it comes to the spiritual gifting. That's the greatest definition, I think, of spiritual service and spiritual ability that I've ever read. Lord, any job, anywhere, anytime, I'm available, 1-800, call me. I'll do it. Can you say that today? Anywhere, anytime, Lord, I'm in. You're the drummer. Hit the beat. I'll march. Can you say that today? You're valuable. He's given you supernatural gifts, but listen to me. That's only for those who know Him as Lord. But even if you don't know Him as Lord today, you're also valuable. You say, well, how am I valuable? Jesus died for you. Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. 
and that is cover the sin in your life. The Bible says this, the Bible says that Jesus, who knew no sin, he became the sin of all of us, and he carried it to the cross, and he paid the price. And today, he will cleanse and forgive all those who will turn to him. That's how valuable you are to him, that he would die for you. Do you know him? Is he Lord? Do you know him today? Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www.highland, and it's H-I-L-A-N-D, park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.